What is up, everybody? Welcome to the Whiskey Sessions podcast. This is Amats here with B-Pimp. B-Pimp, how's it going? It's going great. Excited to be back on the airwaves. It is episode 116. Crazy that it's been 116 already. You, you know who's uh, number 16 in the NBA history, I think? I am curious to find out because I can't think of any 16s off the top of my head. Peja Stoyakovich? Oh, okay. wasn't he 16? I don't know, but I like I think the way he was. Said it with a question. <laughs> I, I mean, I can't think of another 16. So I think at the very least, we should be including possible 16s. Peja had a sweet jumper. That's what I'll say about that. He did. Um, and I have no problem with Peja Stojakovic, but of the, the basketball, the European basketball players from around that region, one that I do now have a beef with is Luka Doncic. Okay. And I'll tell you why. Because his Slovenian team, and I think Slovenia is almost never in the Basketball Olympics, knocked out Lithuania in the Olympic qualifiers. So for now, the, for the first time since they became an independent country again um, for the 90, before the 92 Olympics, Lithuania is not in basketball for the Olympics. Wait, are they officially out? There's They're no they're... officially out. Oh no. It breaks my heart. I don't even know what to care about for the Olympics anymore. Who was on the Lithuanian team? Uh, so the two the two big names they have are Valanciunas and then uh, son of Sabonis. Okay, so they that they had a very or uh, dominating front court then. Yes. No, they absolutely did. This has actually been a problem for a few, a couple of Olympics now. They have not had the kind of backcourt that I think they need to have to compete. They need a Serenus Marcelonis back. Exactly. Like that, that is, ilk. they had him in 92. Awesome. They need another, like, just scrappy player like that. Yeah. That's very, I mean, Luca is a beast. So, I mean, if you're going to go out, that's somebody, there's no shame in that, but it's still very devastating. News. It is. It, it hurts a lot. Yeah. Uh, but that's how it goes. Uh, speaking of basketball, of course, we are recording this before the finals have actually ended. By the time we release it, the finals may or may not be over. And by the time you're listening to it as the listener, the finals are probably over. But I wanted to get your feedback on something, Brian because I've been reading this book that I don't actually like that much, but I've been reading it. It's called The Hot Hand. It's uh, by an author named Ben Cohen. And it kind of follows, do you ever read like Malcolm Gladwell? No, I have, I, I'm familiar with who he is, but I've not read his stuff. Okay, it's sort of like these very readable, like pseudoscience books that, I, I mean, if you stand them up to like any critical argument, they probably don't hold up for the most part. But at least Malcolm Gladwell's books are like interesting and, and fun to read. This one is kind of in that same vein, not quite as well written. But it's about whether the hot hand exists. So I wanted to get your thoughts. Are you a believer in the hot hand or not? A hundred percent. Yes, I am a believer. I have exactly. had it. I've had the hot hand. Absolutely. I believe in the hot hand too. And actually this book makes a point that almost everybody does believe in the hot hand, but they believe in it because it exists. Right. Like when you're on fire playing basketball, like without question, 
Because uh, explain explain how I've taken a three before, and as it left my hand, I do something different with. You see, NBA players do it too when they're on fire. Like somebody will take like Dame Lillard. He'll take mm-hmm. a three, and his before it even is halfway to the basket, he knows it's in. You know how he knows because he has a hot hand. Oh yeah, exactly. No, I, I think you put it right. You, you hit the nail on the head there. Yeah, and you believe in that too because you. I know you. I've seen you have a hot hand, so I know you have it. That is like fundamentally how I play. I either have the hot hand or I really, really don't. You really have a frozen hand. <laughs> yeah, really, really don't. <laughs> Shots are going up either way, though, I'll say. That is one of the great things about your game. And that's how I play. You got to shoot yourself out of the slump, even shoot if you're hurting the team. Yeah. yeah. Um, all right. We uh, listeners might know if you've heard the last three episodes, we are knee deep in talking about the best of the 2000s. And so for the last three episodes, we've covered the best action movies, the best comedies, and the best TV shows of the 2000s. And then for this episode, we're going to be talking about the top five albums of the 2000s. There was some good music in that decade. Oh, so much good music. I apologize in advance for my honorable mention reading because it's, I couldn't leave any of them out. Was there any point of pain in putting together this list that was just especially heartbreaking for you there's a few albums that i really wish it was a top i was joking about video games but like i wish we had like a super list or something but Mm -hmm. but because it was hard to leave them out but then at the same time and also i will personally deciding on my number one was a little bit tough which i'll talk about when we get there but it was more fun because i just it's my favorite thing to do a list about his music so it was a blast to put it together yeah and it was nice to go back and just revisit those albums yeah i think for me i don't know how you feel but the way i know that an album should be in the top five list or should be in consideration is that when i listen to it now does it like take me back to a specific time yeah and i think every album on my list does that like i feel like just a I'm taken back to that year or months or whatever the case is when I listen to the album like a ton and I just feel back in that spot. Yeah, agreed. Nice. Uh, all right. But before we get into our top five albums, this is the Whiskey Sessions podcast. So, B-Pimp, what whiskey do you have for us today? I am delivering on a promise, which is um, I looked for the other High West whiskey. Ooh. We, you had one, I had one. I believe I gave mine the boot and you gave yours a smooth train, if I remember correctly. Yeah, a rare, a rare case of me liking a whiskey more than you. And so here's, my, here's how sensible I am with financials and making decisions. I gave it the boot and then I spent more money on another bottle <laughs> of their whiskey. This is a Rendezvous Rye and it's a limited release. Um high west whiskey so it or i guess it's limited supply it's a blend of straight <laughs> rye whiskeys that's um, well and this is like the the rubber match kind of like where does high west as a distillery stand up exactly and they're again in park city utah this one is 46 percent alcohol by volume there's a long a way too long of a thing in the back so i'm not gonna read the whole thing but they've got Batch number on here, 21024. They they do make a point to say that it's not chill filtered, which I've been seeing recently at Whiskey's, where they advertise that. So they make a point to say it is not. Correct. 
which I'm thinking, I'm thinking maybe chill filtering is something that the mass distilleries do like mm -hmm. Jack Daniels or whatever. So maybe that's why I'm going to look into that, but this is, this is the third one. The one, the biddies by me had the one you already reviewed, the one I already reviewed and this one. And how are you drinking it? I'm drinking it in my classic glass that Lisa got me on the rocks. Very nice. And I'm very, I've been looking forward to this. I got it a couple weeks ago. I, I knew that this was going to be an important moment in, uh, if we're being honest, it's an important moment for High West Whiskey because this may determine their future. I think it might. I, I don't always feel the weight of a company's success riding on our shoulders based on what our reviews are, but in this case, I kind of do. Yeah, this is a heavy, this, this is all very, there's a lot of drama here. Yeah. Um, no, take your time, like really thinking about the taste, the smell, because this is a, uh, this is a big deal for us, but it's a bigger deal for them. The smell is a pleasant surprise right off the bat, especially for a rye, which I don't normally smell with a rye. There's a little bit of fruit hmm. in the aroma, which is, which is, I like it. It's not, I guess if you say that you describe that, like I'm smelling fruit, fruity notes in my rye, it may not be great, but in this case it is. It's okay. pleasant. I'm going to take a sit now and see what we think. Of course, we want to find out if this rye is bringing it with the spiciness. Looks pretty light in the glass. Yeah, it is. It's a very nice, light, caramely color. Wow, that's a really, really unique taste for a rye, and I like it off the bat. I'm not going to make a decision yet, but the first reaction is a positive one. I will say that. Good to know. I At this point... You know the folks at High West are just jumping out of their chairs with excitement, but you can't, you can't do it yet. We do. I, we should let our listeners know we do, in some cases, do like a um, like a live feed. Like they used to show wrestling events in closed circuit uh, feeds and theaters, so that people could watch it live. That's what we're doing for High West right now. They're getting a raw feed of this <laughs> directly in Park Park City, Utah. So it had one of the tastes, the, the things I taste off the bat is it pairs with this little fruit aroma. It's got a little fruitiness in the taste also, which is very nice. It's a little bit of the, the rye spiciness that we always talk about, but paired with a little bit of fruitiness when it finishes. Can you put your finger on like what that fruit is? It's just like a um, kind of like a, a tart tropical I can't pinpoint an exact fruit, but it's got like a little bit of a tart. Okay. Probably something that wouldn't grow in Utah. No, they, they gotta be shipping something in there. Yeah. Sit number two, let's see if it's the same. Yeah, there's the nice, right up front, it's the spiciness. Mm -hmm. Then I'm getting the same finish of, it's almost a mix between like a tart fruit and then followed by almost like a like a little bit of sweetness too. Very complex. Yeah, I like the, the the different descriptions of everything that's going on there. It seems like a, quite a bit. More than I'm used to with a rye because ryes usually don't have to do that much because it's just like what type of spiciness do they have? And I like all of it. So mm -hmm. I usually am on board. This is just a little bit more complicated, but in a good way. Okay, third step I have to decide. I haven't said anything bad about it yet, so I guess there's really not that much um, 
You never know. You could throw a curveball at the last moment. I, I could. It was, I do always have to factor in cost, and it was, all of their whiskeys are a little bit pricey. This one was like 60 bucks, I want to say. Ooh, so that's, okay. that's, that's up there. Yeah, that's not nothing. You, you, at that price point, you're expecting it to be pretty good. Yeah. And guess what? Um, High West, like the third game of a three-game series, you just won the series. because This is going on the smooth train because it's, it's good even at that price point. Wow. Congratulations, High West. Uh, we know everybody is celebrating over in Utah. Um, the rye is on the smooth train. It seems like they have a, a, a the rye is dialed in their yes. rye recipe. And uh, also good to hear that not only is it on the smooth train, but a unique taste for a rye as well. Yeah, I'll, I'll enjoy I'll save the way I know that it's a really good smooth train whiskey is once I'm done with this little sip, I'll have 99% of this bottle left. And will I save it for like special occasions or will, will I be like, Oh, this is one of those bottles I have to finish. This will be, I'll put this away. So I only have it every so often for special occasion. That's wow. That's yeah. no, that's telling too. That means it's, mm-hmm. it's definitely quality. Good job. Hi Wes. Another one on the smooth train, go out and get that rye. Uh, it brings it with the spiciness, but other things as well. Um, and now we got to jump into our top five list. So we talked about uh, that we are covering the top five albums of the 2000s. So as you can imagine, listeners at home, there were a number of albums that came out in this decade, way more than five. Significantly more than five. Significantly more than five. And I'll go so far as to say, I don't think I listened to every single album that came out in the 2000s. I think I got close, but I, there was definitely a few I didn't recognize when I was doing my research. <laughs> yeah. um, all right. Uh, is there anything you want to cover before we jump into it? Let's go. I'm, I'm excited. Cool. All right. Without further ado, then, these are our top five albums of the 2000s. More than four, less than six. It's the top five. All right. Brian, what is your number five album? This was a a difficult choice at what to put at five. And I think I did the right thing. I included an album that I know we both love. It is 2002's Power in Numbers by Jurassic Five. Ooh, great pick. What, what especially do you like about this album? I think that it is, I think I like certain tracks off of quality control uh, quite a bit, but I think as far as an album that I listened to from beginning to end with a lot of good um, cohesion to the tracks, flow um, in the songs, tons of great individual songs. It's it's my favorite album by them, and it's so good. And I've listened, I've gone back to it recently, and it's so good that I have started listening to it a lot again. And I do remember exactly what I used to listen to it really heavily when I played a lot of um, Project Gotham Racing on, on Xbox mm-hmm. in the early 2000s when it came out. So that it always takes me back to racing in the in the streets of Europe when I'm listening to it. It is a really good album. And I, I think what's nice is it's they did not have a sophomore slump. I, be, I mean, I'm willing to bet that more people probably rank quality control a little bit higher. Yeah. Uh, but they're both very good albums. Yeah, absolutely. So with my number five, it's not a double dip. Well, I guess it's not close to a double dip, but I, for a moment in time, I had quality control as my number five. Ooh, that would have been interesting. 
Yeah. So I, I, it, it was very, very hard to leave it off. I think it's my, if I'm being honest, it's probably my number six, maybe my number seven at worst total. Uh, but my number five, uh, I went with a different debut, which I just think is just a phenomenal debut album. But I went with the 2007's uh, Oracular Spectacular by MGMT. Hmm, interesting choice. And if I feel like with this album, uh, it's not a particularly long album, um, which I'm a big fan of that. If it's, you know, 40 minutes or less, I am cool with that. That just means like every song has to nail it. Uh, so I, I always think of like Michael Jackson Thriller or Nas Illmatic as these kind of like, you know, nine or 10 track albums that just like crush it. And I think this is right. I mean, those are classic albums, but this album is really right up there. Um, especially the, f- the, f- the first five tracks you have Time to Pretend. I think that was the first single. Weekend Wars is great. The Youth is great. Electric Feel is great. And Kids, that is your first five tracks. That's incredible. I remember Electric Feel was the jam. That was my yeah. favorite on that. And it's just a fun, unique album. It just, it feels very cool too at the time. Yeah. Um, That's what I, I, I listened to super heavily back in the day and I haven't re- as much recently, but I, that I struggled with that one. Cause I used to love it quite a bit. Mm-hmm. And I think like putting this album, I had to put this album there, but there was, and I wouldn't say anything else. I don't have anything else quite in this genre. Like I didn't pick any like Phoenix albums or of Montreal albums or anything like that. Um, but Arctic there's a lot monkeys. of, yeah, no Arctic monkeys, but there's a lot of good hip hop. There was a lot of good kind of folk, folky rock type stuff too. Yeah. Um, and, and like none of those made my list, but they're all like right there. Uh, but I also like feel like this, whatever genre of music this is like did really well too. It was just a good decade for music. Yeah, absolutely. All right. What is your number four? My number four is an album that I'm pretty sure will not be on your list. Um, Opeth Blackwater Park from 2001. Well, I hate to tell you it's not on my list. (laughs) (laughs) Um, This is one that I, Actually, what I, one of the things I did to make sure that I was kind of covering all my bases, I went and looked at my prep for the top 100 songs that we did for a hundredth episode. Hey, double dip on that strategy. Yeah. I did the same thing and I uncovered an album or two. Yeah. I, well, this, it reminded me of this one, which I had thought of and then forgot when I was actually writing down all my numbers or all my uh, contenders. And then I was like, oh yeah, that's gotta be in there because Opeth is, um, they basically did with this album, they, in my opinion, perfected like the heavy, it's like a mix between black metal and uh, like Prague. And it's really just as like heavy as you can get and still be kind of like interesting and listenable and, and, and a good story. And then after that, they went completely the other direction. This is the last, they had a couple albums after that were also heavy, but then they went to like really 70s-ish Prague rock Hmm. after that so i feel like they also recognize like we can't really do much better than that like let's just throw a curveball and do something else because it's just a masterpiece of that genre of like really heavy music it's great nice well i think actually it ties into uh to mgmt too because i feel like 
their follow-up album sounded very weirdly like 70s kind of almost surf rockish. Oh yeah, that's true. You have that one great album and then you don't know what to do next. Yeah. Awesome. Great number four. My number four is Outcast Stanconia from 2000. So I had a, I was pretty positive that Stanconia came out in the 2000s. I wasn't 100% sure. I have always struggled between whether I like Equemini better or Stanconia. I actually think I, I think I like Equemini a little bit better, but Stanconia in revisiting it is also just a freaking awesome album. And there aren't too many songs that just are earworms in my head, quite like So Fresh and So Clean or Miss Jackson. Uh, and then this album just like between those two tracks, uh, between Bombs Over Baghdad, Explosion, it is Gasoline Dreams. It is it is a killer album. Like It's unbelievable. You, yeah, if you I don't know, I forget what the game is called. But if you play one of those games that Seth's telling me about, um, where you just like you're comparing two albums versus each other and you toss out like the jams and compare them that way. Like there are very few albums, period, that can do better than Stanconia. Agreed. I'll have a lot more to say about that. But that is implying it is on your list. It might be. All right. What is your number three then? My number three is Queens of the Stone Age with Songs for the Deaf from 2002. Ooh. I don't think I've quite listened to this entire album, but um, I have liked the tracks that I've heard off of it. It's a it's a great, great album. Another one that has... I'm a person who likes to listen to an album in its entirety, so I kind of favor ones that have a really excellent flow, and this one is maybe one of the best because they kind of have this bumper that goes throughout the album, which is somebody driving through the desert listening to different radio stations. So, like, between tracks, it'll be somebody, like, spinning a dial, and then they'll land on something, and it'll be a little voiceover that takes you to the next track. Hmm. So it's just, like, really nice to listen to it. You just throw it on when you're driving or something. You can listen to it all the way through, and it has all the, the markers of, like, oh, I know this great song that I love is coming up because I hear this weird, like, fake DJ talking about something. Like, it's one of, one of my favorites for that. I like that. I think it's an underrated quality of some albums to be, like, good driving albums. Mm-hmm. I always thought I, Queens of the Stone Age, that totally makes sense that that would be good for that. I always thought the presidents of the United States were like a great driving band. Yeah. Um, and I don't know what what exactly the quality is that makes something good driving music. I think if it just has like rocks pretty hard, but isn't, but has a driving, well, not to use that same term, but like has like a driving kind of melody or, or line to it that seems yeah. to work really well. I think upbeat too for me is better when I'm yeah, driving. For sure. Uh, I'm not looking to hear Hunger Strike or something. <laughs> not that I don't like that song. <laughs> no, I agree though, because I'll put stuff on I like that's just slower and I'm like, I can't do it right now. I have to go back to like yeah. something really fast. Yeah. Um, all right. My number three. All of my top three are in a two year stretch. Uh, so I don't know what this says about the middle of the decade for me, but my number three is Lupe Fiasco's Food and Liquor. Yeah, honorable mention. This this went all around my list, but I gotta say, like, it's another debut. And honestly, I think Lupe Fiasco is another artist. I think The Cool is a great album too. Uh, no sophomore slump there. Um, but Kick Push is such an inventive track. I think it's also hilarious that I believe he said in an interview 
that he actually doesn't know how to skateboard, but it's like <laughs> a skateboarding jam. Yeah. Um, and it's just the song, the cool, I really like a lot. I have that on my top hundred list. Um, and sunshine daydreaming, uh, just might be okay. It felt like just a very, it is an album for me where I just kind of remember my walks around Chicago while listening to this, um, in college and it's yeah it just has a, like a good feeling this is like a good feeling album too does this does that one have go go gadget flow or was that on the second one that's on the second okay the cool yeah i had to, it was hard for me not to put lupe that was one that was a contender for number five but and he also because he's from thornton which is like two towns over from me where i grew up so it's he's a he's a very talented uh artist from the south suburbs yeah uh, I, I totally get that. Uh, if somebody is from just about where you're from, how do you not bump them up higher? Yeah. Uh, okay. What's your number two? My number two was my number one. They flip flop back and forth over and over again. Ultimately I had to go with the one that I personally like more. So my number two ended up being from the year 2000, barely in the decade. Whoa. Radiohead kid. A. Wow, that it's an uh, amazing album. It is. It's unbelievable. It's just fantastic. And I got it in eighth grade with for Christmas with um, also at the same time, I got uh, Rage Against the Machine Battle of Los Angeles and one other album that I can't remember the third one, but I got them all as a gift. And I remember listening to that Radiohead album for the first time. And that was when I realized that music was an art form. It was like an epiphany I had as an eighth grader. Like had been, I had always been into music, but then I was like, Oh, this is what some people do with music. Like that made it under, it like made me understand it. And I always remember that. So that's why it was, it's always stuck out for me. Well, and kid a is also like an epiphany that they had. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's it's, I really like the bands and I like, uh, was OK Computer the album right before Kid A? Yeah, which is another great one. Yeah, th those are both great albums. But Kid A is like, they are trying things way out there. Mm -hmm. And that informed how Radiohead was going to be like going forward. And it's an incredible album. It is. It's really great. Uh, great number two. Uh, my number two is Kanye West 2005's Late Registration. Nice. This is hard because I like, I really like both of Kanye's first two albums. Um, but I actually do think late registration, which is the second album is a step up on, uh, the college dropout. It just, it, it's a little more cohesive as an album and just like just stuffed from start to finish. I don't know how long the album, it feels like very long, uh, but has all the jams in the world between, uh, Gold Digger, Touch the Sky, which if, like that is how I was introduced to Lupe Fiasco. I was like, who who's doing this loop in the third verse on Touch the Sky, Lupe? Um, and uh, the Diamonds of Sierra Leone. Uh, it's just a really, really good album. And it has like its down moments that it does really well. It has its like kind of longer, like slow jams toward the end of the album that work really well. And I was just so impressed that 
Kanye took what was already like a really successful first album and just kind of decided that I'm not going to do more of the same thing. I'm actually going to try to like up my game in every case. I think it's sort of funny that the first actual song uh, features Adam Levine. Oh, yeah. Which is, it seemed more inventive probably at the time. Now is kind of like hilarious to think about. Yeah, that's funny. Like he, that's Kanye is one of the people who I listened to very heavily at the time, like back in the day. And then I just, for some reason, I never went back to Kanye that much. So he's like, like, I remember liking both of those albums quite a bit. I would say if you get a chance, listen to this one again. I, I'm not sure if it's his best album overall. I think I might still reserve that for my beautiful dark twisted fantasy or whatever that one's called. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's a really, really good album. Yeah. All right. We're down to it. I think I know what your number one is because you already tipped it off. I did. Um, But tell us about it. Well, Outkast put the stink on us with Stankonia. And I think um, they did a great job of it because it's my favorite album of the 2000s. It's so good and it like i feel like every time i've listened to it i catch more things that i hadn't caught before yeah and, and you mentioned like the jams on that, that album but i think it's even like if you not only i mean so fresh is so clean and miss jackson are back to back yeah i mean like those two songs back to back two massive jams then even right after that snapping and trapping has a great killer mike verse you can't pass up a good killer mike verse no, Killer Mike always is a good guest vocalist, and he did a lot of work with Outkast back then. It's got I Call Before I Come, B.O.B. is right after that. Um, and then at the end of the album, they switch it up, and you've got like some weird, slower, kind of like melancholy songs, and it finishes with Stank, Stankonia, Stank Love, with a really unbelievable guest uh, vocal by Sleepy Brown. It's a great, it's beginning to end, unbelievable album. And I was talking with Lisa about it because I couldn't decide between Radiohead and this. And she's like, just don't think about it. Just answer. What's your favorite? And that's what it was. And I was like, I have to go with it. It's, it's my personal favorite that I still listen to the most. Wow. Good advice from Lisa. Mm-hmm. Don't think about it too hard. I just, it feels like such a wonderfully crafted album. It is. It's, it's, it just shows how smart those guys are and how they put together their, their music. Yeah, it really is. Uh, all right, my number one is uh, 2006 again, The Roots with Game Theory. I guessed it. Good guess. <laughs> I guessed it would be that. It's a great album. I love this album. It's just, speaking of albums that are just like lovingly like crafted and fit together and just flow together from start to finish, this album isn't particularly long. Uh, and Roots albums generally have, have gotten like shorter over time. But I will argue with people to the ends of the earth who say that this is not the best Roots album. There's always competition who like, um, there are people who like Things Fall Apart mm-hmm. from 99. Um, and then some others come in the mix as well. Maybe a couple of Organics fans or Phrenology or The Tipping Point. Um and I really like Rising Down a lot, too. Yeah, uh, Rising Down's good. Yeah, I'm not going to name all their albums. Point is this. <laughs> Game Theory is their best album. I will hear nothing else to it. It is from start to finish is perfect. Like the, um, the just the deep vocals of False Media 
going into game theory, then the jam don't feel right. And just once those three, uh, and those are tracks two, three, and four, um, hit the, the album just flows so perfectly. And there are just some, there's a lot of melancholy in there, but it doesn't kind of overdo it with them. Like some later Roots albums are like really downers. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it just like ends with like a wonderful uh, tribute to Jay Dilla. And it's, I think it's just like a nearly perfect album. And I was waiting because I, I was talking about one of my friends from, from high school and college, uh, Elliot, and we'd say like, when is that? We know the Roots are capable of this like they're capable of having an outstanding album and they had good albums, but it just never quite, quite seemed to come together. And I think this album is that this is like a nearly perfect album. I love it. Yeah, I agree. I, that was another contender for my list that I had a hard time leaving off. I also, I, I like it. It's great. And I, I do think you, you nailed all the points that make it so great, but another one too, it's got like, there is great flow like you were talking about even just in the musical stylings like i feel like they put thought into that because like there are notes that you hear like maybe it'll end with a certain drum beat or like the bass line will carry over from song like they have a lot of that it's another album you can just listen to it over and over and find all kinds of different stuff oh yeah here the first time but definitely an album that like really plays better as an album like listening to the tracks in order um and just yeah, I, I can't say enough about it. Like, Here I Come is a great jam. And then it's yeah. Long Time, which Long Time to me just like takes me back to just, I, I mean, again, Chicago, this is all like right around college, but it just feel in the moment with this album. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was, a, that was one I listened to a lot walking around the city. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right, what are your, I mean, I'm sure you got a bunch. What are your options? I do have a bunch. Um, I don't really have a good way to group it, so I'm just going to go through it. And there's a, um, I started with Interpol, Turn On The Bright Lights from 2002. Love that. Another Radiohead in Rainbows that came out in 07. That's a great album. Um, LCD Sound System, Sound of Silver was also 07. I didn't find out about them or get into them until the last few years, but they do some really beautiful stuff. I like Robin's self-titled album from 2005. Audio Slaves self-titled from 02 the knife uh deep cuts from 06 another swedish pop band like robin um gorillas demon days from 05 it's my favorite gorillas album tool uh lateralis came out in 2001 which is unbelievably great another one with great flow i like a kid named cuddy from from 2008 by kid cuddy that's a great album Uh, it is it's that's another one that's full of the flow and jams. That's the two things I like about these albums. Um, Death from Above, 1979. You're a Woman, I'm a Machine from 2004. Gojira, The Way of All Flesh from 08. At the Drive-In, Relationship of Command from 2000. The Mars Volta, D-Last and the Comatorium from 03. A lot of the same members in those two bands, but two completely different bands. Um, Smashing Pumpkins, Machina, The Machines of God from 2000. Lupe's Food and Liquor and The Roots Game Theory. Great list. Uh, yeah, there's just a lot of honorable mentions to go around. Uh, I mentioned Kanye West, College Dropout, Lupe Fiasco, The Cool, uh, Sufjan Stevens with Illinois, uh, Kid A by Radiohead, Death Cab for Cutie, Transatlanticism, um, K 
Chaos, who's like a, a rap a kind of R&B-ish artist that I like a lot with Exit, but Joyful Rebellion's also really good. Those are good. Uh, Jurassic 5, Quality Control. Uh, and then going a little bit more into um, kind of indie rock, I like Pedro the Lion Control, Arcade Fire, Funeral. I also like Neon Bible a lot, um, but probably Funeral a little bit ahead of that. Uh, and the Avet Brothers, I Am Loving You, and then Wilco with uh, Yankee Ho- Hotel Foxtrot. And then rounding out the list, I have Gnarls Barkley with St. Elsewhere, uh, The Roots with Rising Down, and the Red Hot Chili Peppers with Stadium Arcadium. Nice. Which Stadium That's Arcadium a- would actually probably be almost on my list if they had turned it into a single album. <laughs> yeah, I agree. But you got you got to know to cut the fat sometimes. Yeah, I have one more that I have to jam in there because I just remembered it. Fleet Foxes, self-titled. Ooh, nice. I think I wouldn't have remembered that that was from this decade. But yeah, that was a good album. They're from Seattle too. Oh well. Oh, nice. They're really good. They are. Those melodies haunting. Yep. Cool. Well, to folks at home, obviously there were a lot of albums that came out in the 2000s. A lot of really good albums. If you have some that you think we forgot about, of course, let us know. Uh, our Twitter is at Whiskey Sessions, or you can email us at whiskeysessionsmusic at gmail.com. And we will read your email on a future episode. Uh, but now we got to get your emails for this episode. So without further ado, these are your emails. You sent us emails to read emails, and now we'll read them. All right, the first email I have says, hello, Whiskey Sessions. If you started producing a brand of whiskey, what would you call it? And this is from Simon in Cadillac, Michigan. I have an answer. Go for it. I would call it Whiskey Sessions presents the best session whiskey for your whiskey session. Ooh, I like that. I also really like the, first of all, it's, it's a perfect name. And it rolls right off the tongue, short and sweet. Yeah. But people don't talk enough about session whiskeys. Is that a real term? Should we be calling it that? I, I think it should be. I don't know if it is, though. But I think the problem is that session beers usually are low alcohol. And I don't even think the <laughs> lowest alcohol whiskeys qualify for that. But I think we should push for it to happen. In truth, enough people would be on board with that idea if they're like borderline alcoholics where they would say like oh, well, well it's just a session whiskey so of course i'm drinking it during the day we'd be super popular we would be incredibly popular i like that term though session whiskey um yeah. i thought like if there are you know you're in streamwood i'm in oakland we could call it oakwood streamland um or how about this illifornia Ooh, illifornia I yeah, like that. That, work. that almost works more like a strain of weed, though, than it does for a whiskey. <laughs> it does. Well, who's, who's to say that we can't start two things? That's true. Yeah. Uh, what else we got in the email inbox? All right. Let's see. We've got another one here. Uh, Dear Whiskey Sessions, my favorite TV show of the 2000s was a tie between Maury Povich and Jerry Springer. The upscale, understated storylines presented by these two titans of the talk show have been flying under the radar for years. I have been listening to every podcast top five TV shows of the 2000s list since January 1st, 2010, and no one has made the right choice yet. If it doesn't happen by January 1st, 2050, I'm starting my own podcast. From Pete in Piscataway, New Jersey. Wow. 
Piscataway. I mean, I don't see why Pete has to wait that long to start the podcast. That's yeah. There's a lot of ways my brain goes after hearing from Pete, but one of them is why is that the date he picked? Like, I yeah. want to know how old he is. Like, is that going to be feasible for him to start a podcast? Are podcasts still going to exist? That's an even better question. At that time, um, how many different shows are doing top five lists of TV shows? Also from the 2000s, I'd like to know that. I have so many questions. Yeah, I mean, I'm assuming there are some out there that have done it, um, but. To assume that there are going to be that many more from now until 2050, I don't think there would be. So I, I just, I feel like Pete's going to be waiting. I think Pete should maybe bump that up to like 2025. I'm kind of curious as to, I mean, I think we, we have a good sense of what Pete's one and two are, uh, but what's his three, four, five? Probably Steve Wilkos. Um, <laughs> Maybe like Judge Judge Joe Brown. Yeah. Um, oh God, what's another good Judge one? Mathis would be, but they wouldn't let us come to their taping when we no. tried to get tickets. I I can't believe we couldn't get tickets to Judge Mathis. Was that one of those things where we were like drunk and said it would be funny to go to Judge Mathis and we tried to get tickets, or or was this like a coherent <laughs> plan uh, that we had? I can't imagine it was very coherent. Okay, but we did call. Yeah. I think I, I think we called. I think we went. They might have told us to go on their site and I think submitted something, but nothing. Yeah, they blew oh, it. Oh, well, um, I think it was because I would I told them at the time that if I'm in the audience, I will just be shouting guilty the whole time. <laughs> they said, well, it doesn't it's not really guilty or not guilty. It's just they give them a certain amount of money. I said, I don't care. And you said it's a judge show, so there's guilt and innocence. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. Well, uh, again, if you have an email uh, for us that you'd like to read us, uh, that you would like us to read on a future episode, uh, make sure you send it to whiskey sessions music at gmail.com and we'll read it on a future episode. Um, but that does it for 116, the Page Stoyakovich episode. Who's to say? Somebody can probably find that out by Googling for five seconds. It's not going to be me. Nope. Uh, B-Pimp, you got any words of wisdom to leave our listeners with? Pedro Stoyakovich is always number 16 in my heart. Exactly. Uh, okay, real quick, lightning round. What's your top 15? Top 15 in my heart? Yes. Uh, Vladdy Divots, Mike Bibby, Chris Weber, <laughs> <laughs> Scott Padgett. <laughs> Wow, number four. Good for him. <laughs> Bobby Jackson, uh, Corliss Williamson. I'm not going to name 15 Sacramento Kings. I could probably do it at some point. Yeah, to six. That's pretty good. Yeah. Uh, all right. Until next time, this is Amat Sam. Peace out. And B Pimp. See you later. <laughs>